Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. We all have the desire to belong, to connect, and the age of social media making personal connections has been more challenging than ever. Millennials and Zoomers tend to have high anxiety at the thought of meeting new people and often fumble during in-person interactions. They struggle to connect, don't know how to make friends, and subsequently flounder in workplace relationships. Sounds familiar? Well, our special guest today, Rachel Del Alto, knows that it doesn't have to be that way. She believes everyone can be likable, everyone can be confident, and anyone can achieve that authentically. In her new book, Relatable, Rachel provides a step-by-step primer that will take you from socially awkward to awesome. She wants to help you finally feel more comfortable in social and professional settings so you can let your true character shine as you form lasting, real, and meaningful connections with everyone in the room. Rachel is a relationship expert, media personality, keynote speaker. She's appeared as an expert on Lifetime's Married at First Sight, TLC's Kate and Date, and is engaged as Matches chief dating expert. She's a regular contributor on TV news programs, talk shows, including Good Morning America, Tamara Hall, Access Hollywood, CNN, and Today's Show. She's delivered not one, but not two, but three TEDx talks, including being authentic in a filtered world, which is featured on TED.com. I'm gonna have to get some tips from you. I'm getting ready to present my first TEDx talk, Rachel, but welcome to the show. Hey, it's so awkward to hear like things about me. <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> let's just get to talking. <laughs> but I got you. Whatever you need for the TED talk, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want the light shined on you. <laughs> no, it's weird. It's so weird. It's so uncomfortable. I'm like, please, yeah, it could be one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Well, of course, I have to brag on you and say all the fabulous things that uh, you've done, but I truly enjoyed Relatables. I do want to talk about that today. But for all of those who don't know who Rachel Del Alto is, for one, who is Rachel? I shared all the accolades, all the wonderful, great things about you, but who is Rachel and what actually makes her relatable? (laughs) She's a sleepy mom who pretty much lives on coffee, wine, and occasionally a glass of water. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I'm a, I'm a lover of people. And, you know, I think it's just, I've definitely found my passion with people and and authenticity and just really kind of being ourselves. And uh, for me, you know, this entire journey of where I've, I've gotten myself to has been a journey of my, my own uh, trajectory of just dealing with all of the challenges that come with being ourselves out in a public facing way. And uh, that's kind of why, why I do what I do is uh, just based on my own experience and and how I see other people struggling in certain areas and and how I think they could be be lifted up a little bit. 
Well, the one thing I didn't mention in your uh, bio and accolades and all the fabulous things that you're doing is that you used to be an attorney, you used to be a lawyer. So how does a lawyer <laughs> litigator turn to become a relationship expert and who's writing a book about relatable, which, you know, we know sometimes attorneys have certain uh, stereotypes. Not so relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was that's a question I get a lot. And actually, I tell the story in the book because I get it so often. Uh, but I, you know, I was a lawyer with an entrepreneurial spirit. So I was the the kid that had the crazy, you know, not just a lemonade stand. I had like a candy station uh, at my parents' driveway growing up. I always had ideas, and I came up with an idea for a dating company when I was still a lawyer, and it was pre-apps, and uh, ended up raising almost two million dollars to launch it. And it failed. Um, it just was pre-app and we didn't, we weren't able to adapt because it wasn't the concept. And, uh, but it led me to where I am now, which is I started doing TV around the company and they were like, Hey, you can like talk. <laughs> You're comfortable on camera, like come back and give us your opinions. And I said, like, I have opinions about everything. How, how often do you want me? Are you going to do my hair and makeup every time? And so that kind of transitioned into people asking for coaching. And then, uh, so I went back and became a coach and then got my master's in psych and, you know, really wanted to, to dive into people more. So not that I, I wasn't studying people my whole life, being an attorney, I was a trial attorney. You study people like that is, <laughs> that is definitely what you're doing already, but it's just a different approach of it. So it was a windy road, but I got here and I like it here a lot better than I did in the courtroom. Well, that is quite a story. And when I met you in New York, I don't remember when it was a couple months ago, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, you definitely are relatable. So you embody what you write about. And that is a good thing. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, as you state about some startling statistics that I found that were startling, especially as a psychotherapist on social anxiety, you know, including mm. that 70% of people between the ages of 18 and 29 experience social anxiety more than any other age group. So that kind of just really um, stood out to me. And you discuss in the book how this is intertwined with loneliness. Could you share mm -hmm. what this looks like and how this affects people, especially today coming out of COVID, social anxiety, we have social media, all these things. I would love to to hear some of your thoughts. Oh my gosh. I, how long do we have again? <laughs> uh, it's, it's such a passion of mine. And, and it was the focus of my research uh, when I was getting my master's because I'm just so blown away by how connected we are, get how disconnected we are, but also the effects because social anxiety wasn't really, uh, it wasn't a diagnosis. It wasn't in the DSM. It wasn't, you know, a part of the, the whole repertoire of mental health until more recently. And so you start to wonder why and what's changed. And so you can see just this parallel between this rise in social media and the rise of social anxiety, because the more that we get, uh, these, these highlight reels and these polished pictures and these filters and, and people seeing people doing things without them, all of a sudden we're just creating these anxious moments. And so it, it, I've seen it play out so often. The reason why I wrote the book and, and really focused on millennials and, and Gen Z is because they're being affected the most by it because they grew up with social media. You know, I think a lot of us, I'm a, I'm an old, old millennial slash baby Gen Xer, and I didn't have it. You know, I didn't have social media until I was already a mom. And by that point, you have a completely different perspective of things. Like I know my priorities shift and, you know, I know what, what matters kind of on a different scale. And, but if I had had that when I was a tween, I look at my daughter at 11 and I just think, oh my gosh, people, you don't give people a chance because they're already getting programmed into, you should be 
prettier, more social, more popular, more rich, more whatever it is. And we're messing with our psyche and we're thinking that we're not good enough as we show up into all these situations. So then what do you suggest, right? Because you also talk about, which I loved in chapter three, about we need to check our filters. You know, for one, what does that mean? Um, But also, how do we, in your opinion, how do we navigate this world of social media? You know, FOMO is a real thing, especially for certain generations. And that is how they meet people. Um, You know, I actually know when I'm hiring people as, as, as a company, I search their social media. <laughs> yep, absolutely, as you should. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such an interesting thing because I I think about you know how we show up on social media and you want to be honest and you want to be truthful and you want to make sure that you're not pretending to be someone you're not because then you're getting validation for a version of you that doesn't exist. Uh, and there was a study that actually came out after the book came out and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it was too late. But uh, it talked about people with purpose are actually insulated from a lot of the emotional trauma that can come from social media. So it's it's really, I, I think, as we approach um, taking down those masks and taking down those filters, we need to simultaneously think about who we are and what our purpose is and kind of set those intentions so that we're not so reliant on the likes and the comments and the validations. So then with your tween, so how do you talk to her about... <laughs> So about social media. My son's nine, so we're not completely there yet, but yeah. I know it's around the corner, which this is really personally for me. But how do you <laughs> communicate with your uh, daughter how to navigate this world when that is their world? Yeah, she doesn't get it. She's, she's not allowed <laughs> yeah. Right, that takes care of that. <laughs> That's how I navigate that. Yeah, I was like, uh, no. Um, right now, she doesn't even have a phone. Like, we have, like, the little gizmo watch thing is how we mm-hmm. contact her if, you know, she's riding her bike somewhere. Um, but when she does get a phone, social media will not be on it. And mm-hmm. I don't know how long I can prolong her involvement. I I think consumption and participation are different. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of where she already consumes social media. You can't, you can't avoid that. She's on, she was on YouTube watching crazy adult unpacked toys <laughs> when she was like five <laughs> years old. Are they still doing those? Like the unboxing things? They were the most yes, my son bizarre. <laughs> oh my God. They're so weird. <laughs> so yeah, you, you can't get away from them consuming it, but the participation part of it, I'm going to prolong as long as I can until I can like really get into her brain and make sure that she has some sort of like stability because it can really mess with them. And all of the studies say that it's not about how you use it. It's, it's a, it's about how you feel about it. Um, it's not about how much you use it. It's about how much you're getting your own validation from it. So that's just really what I'm focusing on with her is as she gets older, you know, my son is, my son's 21. So he's already, that ship sailed. And, he, but I think for guys, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. He's a little insulated. Like he doesn't, he doesn't care. He, I mean, he didn't care before, <laughs> like before he got social media, he definitely doesn't care now. Or he's like, Oh, you guys hung out without me. Cool. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to know your kid and kind of approach it in a way that just makes them feel like they are, um, they're okay without it and they don't have to keep up with everybody and compare themselves to everybody. And it's already happening for me, Rachel. We went to a soccer game recently and my son is nine and there was another nine-year-old that we had went with and he had a phone, the other nine-year-old. So we're in the car. He's like, why do I not have a phone? (laughs) I'm like, call the mom. I I need to talk to the parents. 
What are you doing? Why are you messing it up for me? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what my conversation I, I wanted to have. Right. But, you know, <laughs> so in the book, so when you, when you, since we're talking about social media and all these other things, I mean, what does it mean for those that are listening to us or watching us when you tell us that we have to check our filters? I mean, what does that mean exactly? And what, how should we check our filters? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, I get it. Like there's a filter that's naturally on this camera that I use right now now and it's a beautiful thing because it's it's late for me on the east coast and I'm an old lady I go to sleep at <laughs> nine o'clock um so I'm blessed by that filter but there's so many times where we're filtering out not only our physical appearance because we think that we're better with some sort of filter that, that the computer generated but we're also filtering out our stories we're filtering out our truths we're filtering out who we are because we're pretending to be someone we're not to make other people like us and I say this often it's how, how can someone actually like or love you if they don't know you? And that's where it's, if we, we, if we start to check our filters, we can understand that we're not actually showing up in a way that's going to really make connections. We're showing up in a way that's going to advertise something and then deliver something else. Eventually you're going to be real with someone. You can't, if you're making a friend, if you're in a romantic relationship, if you're, if you get a job, you know, it's, it's the real you can't hide forever. We see this all the time. And that's why in romantic relationships, it's like you want to give that, you know, 18, 24 months to get those rose colored glasses off because people can't lie forever. I mean, actually, except for some crazy people I, I hear about on TikTok, but, um, but most of the time you become you. So why not show up as you in the beginning and not have a distrust or, or a fall from grace? Almost reminds me of, and I'm sure that you've counseled and coached people in the dating space. It's almost like their representative shows up. So then how yeah. can people in your experience and your expertise, how can people feel about themselves and how can they show up um, when you tell us that we, how we feel about ourselves is how we show up. Um, so how can you unpack that? So if someone's listening and they're thinking about, well, you know what, I probably send my representative out more times than yeah. not. So, and then that whole thought about how we feel about ourselves is how we show what does that mean first um, for those that are listening? And then how do they know if they're falling into that? Yeah. So when we feel that we're not enough, we show up either as trying to mask that person or we show up in a way that very much demonstrates that we, we feel that way. We show up with a lack of confidence. We accept less than we deserve. We end up in unhealthy situations. We ignore red flags. We do all of these things that put us into positions that are going to hurt us. And then we just perpetuate the cycle because now we're like, oh yeah, I deserve that. Uh, so we, we need to really recognize how we feel about ourselves. And, and I loved my favorite review on the book was, uh, the very first review was three stars. And the guy was so honest that I couldn't even get mad at him. He goes, you know, it's probably, it's, it's a good book, but like, there is a lot of work to do and I'm, I just don't have the time for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, honest. <laughs> so that's the best review ever because my whole purpose of it was self-awareness. You know, you really have to start to become self-aware. And that's what the book overall is intended to do is get people thinking about how do I feel? How do I show up? What do I say? What do I say about myself? And, you know, I, one of my biggest things that, that I try to focus on is, is confidence and I call it confidence shaped holes. And, you know, this is something that sometimes people need somebody to work through this with like you, uh, you know, have, have a trained therapist, have a psychologist work with you, a, a coach or someone with the credentials that can, that can help you to identify where these confidence shaped holes come from so that you do show up in your best way so that the person that you do show up as is you and embodies all of the goodness that you are because you own who you are. 
You own who you are. And it's probably because I'm in the world of psychology that I actually like that you have the lesson and then you have the work. You have the lesson and you have the work. <laughs> and you're like, I love homework. I I'm love like, it. yes, I'm like, they can actually do the work. Yeah. And you should reading. talk to that dude that posted. Yes. <laughs> you're like, this is actually helpful, man. Exactly. You do that, then you don't need me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to put you out of business either, though. So but <laughs> they still need you. Trust me. There's a lot to unpack out there. <laughs> Absolutely. It's getting into the holidays. There's a joke between psychotherapists and psychologists, Rachel, that Thanksgiving keeps us in business. <laughs> <I'm Yes. alone. laughs> that is right. Oh, family dynamics. God bless them. Absolutely. But since you mentioned that, you talk about confidence. You know, we hear that word all the time confidence. We need confidence. So for those that are listening or watching, how can they, in a very practical sense, one, they can read the book, but in a, in a general <laughs> sense, what can people do to start working on their confidence? And, and even before that, how can someone become self-aware? That's even a problem. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things that I that I try to get people to do right away is, is the negativity journal. And that's something that I include in the book is, is really becoming aware of the thoughts that we have, because as you know, our brains are sometimes our worst enemy. Actually, oftentimes people with confidence challenges, our brains are the ones that are telling us that you shouldn't be confident. And we're not even and often aware of how bad it is until you really focus on it. So I have people start to really track their thoughts and as they go about their day, recognize, oh, that just called myself fat. Oh, yeah, just said I was dumb. Oh, I'm poor again. You know, I have all these thoughts that come up and those are like those very typical ones and I have them write them down and then find some way to spin them so that you can start to really shift those, those thoughts through neuroplasticity, which is my favorite thing in the world. Love our brains. Um, and you know, utilizing that. So I think for people who are in that first step, it's really just starting to wear, become aware, what are the types of thoughts I'm having and which ones are the most repetitive? Because those are the ones that one, you can start to really shift and stop yourself in the, in the track of that, that negative thought tornado, and then start to shift yourself out of it. But it also gives you some thing to unpack, which I think is like that bigger, that bigger element. And I do quote Jay-Z in my book, which is, you know, you can't heal what you don't reveal. And so, so if you don't look at it, you don't, you don't realize, you know, what is the big, what's the big thing that's really getting in your way. And then where did it come from? You're not able to kind of get to that, that next level. And, and my goal for people is, you know, I don't know that everybody's going to run out of, you know, reading relatable and be like, I'm Superman. I'm amazing. Maybe that would be awesome, but at least just get to that next step of, okay, I recognize that and I can start to shift it. Absolutely. So then how can, I know you talk about it in the book, but how does, when we're not confident and we do have, you know, what Daniel Amen calls those automatic negative thoughts and how it affects how we feel and how we show up in the world. So what can be some things and how that actually becomes a barrier to how we relate to people? And let's say, and like, for example, and I know you talk about it later in the chapters about confidence and getting that job and, you know, the what next and all those ty types of things. So how can people first realize that that is a barrier to getting some of the things that they actually want that big old C word confidence? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's, you have to start to become aware of those thoughts and you have to, you have to set that intention of, okay, this is, this is a focus of mine and I'm going to put the energy into it because it does, it gets in the way. Every time you show up into a social setting, it keeps you from putting yourself out there. Every time you see a job listing that you think that you would like, but you, you say, I'm not good enough for it. Every time you see somebody that you're like, that's somebody I'm attracted to. And I'd like to, to get in and to get to know them. You say, oh, they would never love me. 
And so when we start to recognize what are those things that are, are making those, those blocks show up, then it's, you know, okay, that is my hole. You know, that is whatever that, that recurring thought is, is that hole that needs to be focused on the most and, and needs to be worked through. Absolutely. So going back, Rachel, to the actual title of your book, Relatable, I want to make sure um, I, I get this thing because I see some messages um, coming in as we are live. Um, what does that actually mean? So when people are hearing relatable, you know, yeah. what does that actually mean to them or what should it mean to them? <laughs> Yeah, I like to think of it as like a step up from likable because I think you can like somebody but really not want to like hang out with them. Relatables, I want to invest some energy into you. Relatables, like that is somebody that I'm interested in really getting to know. Relatables, somebody that that I'm going to buddy up next to versus eh, I like them. And so it's that, that next step of really connection. I, I view relatable as just a deeper level of connection. It's a deeper level of, of likability. Okay. So a deeper level of likability and a way for them to really connect, you know, another C word, connect, <laughs> confidence. <laughs> Love my C's. Love my C's. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so since we're, we're on that topic, you know, someone's asking like, what inspired you to write the book Relatable? You know, it was actually built out from a keynote. I, I had been giving this keynote uh, and well, let me backtrack from that a little bit because the entire concept of relatability came up when I left Married at First Sight. So I was on it for uh, seasons four and five. And when I left, I got, I'm not even kidding you. It was ridiculous. Uh, like thousands of messages from people like, why are you leaving? You're, you're the most relatable expert. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, not, I know what the the word meant, but I didn't know what was it about the way that I showed up that, that made them feel like they were connected to me, even though they never met me and I was behind the screen. And so I, I do not believe in a research uh, party of one. (laughs) So I started to look at, okay, this is how I show up, but let me look at other people who I consider to be relatable and then really focus on what do they do? You know, what are they doing differently? What did I do? What are they doing? And kind of look at it from this greater scope. And I, I researched that for uh, about two years and then created this keynote where we did interactions and we did some of these exercises live and it started working. <laughs> and so <laughs> people, people were really making connections and getting into real relationships from an hour keynote. And so I thought, you know, I can't be everywhere. Um, I have to go to Kansas city tomorrow. Um, and I, I like my family, so I need to write a book so that I could bring it to more people. So what was your, um, someone's asking, what was your experience and what did you learn about relationships through, um, love at first sight? You know, I learned that effort goes a long way. I learned that, uh, open-mindedness goes a long way. And I learned that a lot of people don't have the desire to utilize either of those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I think that some people are are set in their ways and and that's a challenge when it comes to really dating outside of your type or, or, you know, dating beyond your expectations or whatever it is that you, you have put kind of love in a box for. Um, but I also learned there's a beauty, like there's such a beauty in, in the success of it. I still look at Ashley and Anthony who are a success story from season five and they have two kids now. And I learned that, you know, that, that effort and that open-mindedness and that, that, love, that pure desire to love and be loved is, is really a beautiful thing to witness. So I, I cherish my time on that show. So what people, what can people learn from that couple in particular, if you do consider them a success story? So those that are either dating in the relationship, what are some things that they can gleam from their success? 
Yeah, well, both them and uh, I think of Jamie and Doug, who are from season one. And I know there's some people after my seasons, I haven't watched it since then, but um, I know there's other success stories. I think really it's the patience um, patience and not, you know, I look, I, I love John Gottman's work. And so you look at the four horsemen and, and you saw a lot of these relationships deteriorate, especially once there was just so much hostility and people weren't willing to kind of take a minute and take a beat. Like everybody has their moments, but none of those couples that made it um, really went to that so quickly. And that's something that I see oftentimes in couples, we go so quickly to those contemptuous, you know, words and feelings and, um, and, and, uh, reactions, and it can be such a challenge. And, and those couples that make it and Ashley and Anthony are part of that, where they just don't have that. And they're able to work through things because you're not adding fire, um, you know, to, to an already sparking little, little bundle over there. So what is what does it look like for you as the expert that behind the the curtains is reading the message behind the curtains? Are you doing a psychosocial assessment? Like how do you pair the couples if you gave the listeners and viewers a peek behind the scenes of your yeah. experience? Yeah, and obviously I can I don't know what they're doing now, but there was always um, independent psychologists that would come in and do a lot of um, psych- psychological testing uh, for a variety of things, and they never gave us like they would they would cut people out <laughs> um, that weren't appropriate for it. And then it was a lot of um, a lot of interviewing and it was very much, um, there wasn't a set way of doing it, you know, and, and like, you know, every human being is so different. So it's not, it's not, you can't give somebody an assessment and say, oh, you scored a 60, they scored a 60, you're getting married now. Uh, <laughs> so there was a lot of interviewing and a lot of, a uh, ton of paperwork and, and going through applications and then going to visit their friends and family and homes. And, you know, that, that was a huge part of it. And then just kind of seeing how that, that whole thing shaped together in addition to their physical preferences and all of the other elements. So it's, it's a lot, it's very intense. I mean, my gosh, those matchmaking sessions were, I sleep a lot better now. (laughs) (laughs) I I would imagine (laughs) like a lot. Yeah. It's really cool when you're not responsible for people's happiness. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure looking back, I'm sure it probably was a lot of pressure as you reflect (laughs) Oh my goodness. I know. I, I ran into some people that I worked with on the show and they were like, my God, you're like aging backwards. I was like, dude, I got no responsibilities over there. <laughs> I'm just helping make the world a happier, more relatable place. <laughs> I know my, uh, one of my mentors, Paul Brunson does the UK oh. version of it. So I'm always watching his behind the scenes and his commentary and I can just I feel the pressure. <laughs> I talked to him where we were chatting on WhatsApp the other day. I love him. Absolutely. He's like, he left us. He, he jumped the pond. <laughs> yes. And he's loving life over there. So <laughs> so what about uh, Kate and Date? I mean, what are some things <laughs> that you can uh, share about your experience there with uh, the listeners and the viewers? <laughs> the challenge? Um, yeah, I think people that, uh, <laughs> like, how do I say this and be kind? Um, it's, you know, you have to want it. You have to actually want a relationship to be open to love. And I think it's a really good, that was a good testament to, um, what I was talking about before is the people that are the most successful, I think in life in general are, are more open-minded. They don't have this rigidity of, of expectations and, and, you know, the way they think everything should look and feel. And so 
that was a very interesting experience. And, um, you know, it's funny on these shows, I'm not a matchmaker, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm a, and I don't even do a lot of private coaching anymore, but, uh, you know, they're, they, they pose it as like, I brought in these people and it's, it's a very interesting experience, but open-mindedness would be awesome when you work with people. And I would imagine, um, you know, I know from a, a therapeutic standpoint with couples, sometimes their maturity matters where they're still um, emotionally stuck at certain maturity ages. So then that can create toxic um, potential dynamics, which they can sabotage something. Otherwise that can be good for them. I'd imagine you've seen some of that as well. Just a few, just a few. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we'll certainly going to get into some of that after our um, quick uh, break, but we are here uh, let's talk about it with Janie Lacey. And we are talking to relationship expert, Rachel Del Alto about her book, Relatable and everything that is relatable to being relatable. So we will be uh, right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you often attracted to unavailable partners? Feel like you can't stay but can't leave a toxic relationship? Obsessed with thinking about a current or former lover? Feel resentful that you're always taking care of the other person? The Woman Redeemed Therapy Program is for women who want to break free from toxic relationship patterns so they can find the love they truly deserve. This program is a safe, nurturing environment, essential for building self-worth and acquiring the tools to work through challenges and create your best self. We invite you to begin the journey today to start building the new you. Call 407-622-1770 or visit LifeCounselingSolutions.com. That's LifeCounselingSolutions.com. Are you living day by day, nervous, in fear, or constantly feeling overwhelmed, This is probably due to an anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders can develop from many different factors and can affect each and every person differently. Anxiety disorders can develop because of genetics, personality, stressful life events, and many other reasons. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that more than 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety-related illnesses and anxiety is also considered the most common mental disorder in the United States. You don't have to suffer alone. Call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit lifecounselingsolutions.com today. Has your anger ever taken you somewhere you regretted? Have you ever said something in anger that you wish you could take back? Have you ever hurt anyone as a reaction of your anger, physically or emotionally? Let's face it. Anger is a part of life. We all experience anger in our lives at some point. The question we need to ask ourselves is whether this has become a habit. What matters is how we deal with it. So call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit OrlandoAngerManagement.com today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Janie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at lifecounselingsolutions.com. Now back to Let's Talk About It. 
welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. And we are here with our special guest, Rachel Del Alto. And we're talking everything about being relatable. So welcome back to the show, Rachel. Great to be here. And I want to jump in, you know, as I read through the book in chapter five in particular, which I um, particularly gravitated towards because you talked about the power of positivity. And we especially know that we need that at this time. But you write that the negative can become normal. How does someone really know? You know, I know from a therapeutic standpoint, we look at Jahara's window and a lot of people have blind spots about themselves. So, you know, as a relationship expert, what do you say about how do people know that if that is their reality, that that negative thinking is a normal? Because I know I've heard a lot of excuses for why people may otherwise think um, being normal, being negative is normal. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like you said, so many people just don't see it. And I, I advise people if, if things are not going the way that you want it to go, then you need to get an outside opinion, you know? And, and I, I always said my, one of my friends, Bella Gandhi, who is amazing. She's a dating coach in Chicago. And I remember she was talking about the 360 assessment that she does. And she would always say one, one is one person's answer is an opinion. Three people are facts. And so you can have one opinion of yourself as you, <laughs> but that, that doesn't mean that that's, that's the actual fact. And I think it's really important if you are having troubles in areas is getting people who are going to be honest with you to let you know, Hey, listen, how do I approach things? Do you think that I have a negative mindset around X, Y, Z, and you can kind of baby step into it, but you know, it's, it's really, I would work almost backwards of if it's not working, there's probably a reason for it. So let's figure out the why. I think that's a good way for people to step back, look at all the results that they're getting, and then taking that feedback from um, people. And sometimes it could be different people where you are hearing that same feedback. And even though you may reject it, just leaning into it and not focusing on the person who's giving it to you. But there's yeah. always could be rich feedback um, if we really lean into what people tell us, especially if we've heard it over and over again. <laughs> Yeah. And that personal responsibility is a big part of that. So, you know, and it's tough, it's tough. People don't like to hear criticism and they don't, and, you know, feedback and in many cases is, is critical and it's okay. You know, I think that's all meant to allow us to grow, but you have to kind of, you gotta, gotta put on those, those big girl, big boy pants and be like, I'm going to take it. I'm going to, I'm here for growth. Uh, but that growth mindset, it's that whole growth versus fixed mindset too, of like, mm -hmm. am I looking at it in terms of like, how can I evolve as a human? Or am I looking at things as like, like no, I'm, I'm not accepting any of that. We're not, we're, there's no room for promotion right now. Exactly. And I always told people at least consider what someone yeah. is saying to you. <laughs> yeah. At least consider it. Um, but share with us a little bit, you talk about, and, and I liked the, the term um, in many ways, but the then what, you know, that someone who learns that all the things, right? So they're reading relatable, relatable, they're doing all the work. So they get to this place. And then uh, you discuss in the chapter in a general sense, if you can share with us, like, how does someone know how to find their then what? They're checking yeah. all the boxes, doing all the work. <laughs> Yeah. And the, then what is, you know, it's, it's everything that, that people have heard in, in other forms of purpose and their why, but I, I look at it as the then what, because it really is a question to me of, you know, you, you get, you get those connections, you get followers, you get the job, you get the love, you know, but then what, like, what's the, what's the purpose behind it? And so when you ask, 
ask the question, you can start to really reflect upon that. And I have some, some kind of prompts in the book where people can think about what is my then what, but you can also choose it. Um, and that's something that I think people, we forget that we can set those intentions. We can create something, we can create our then what, and it might not be the same for the rest of our lives. And, you know, when, when Simon Sinek talks about your why, it, it feels like this like big monster umbrella that you have to create and think about. And that can feel overwhelming to a point where people are just like, I, I don't know my why I'm just going to stick with my how. And so if you, if you take a step back and just think like, okay, well, what's my, what's my intention for this? What's my focus for this? Like, what's my purpose for this versus what's my purpose in life? You can start to kind of create a different version of it that feels more, more tactile and, and more doable. We use this exercise in, in psychology, which is why I actually like um, that particular chapter and how you view it. We look at it in the sense when people get triggered as well, is that when they get triggered, we tell ourselves these narratives and then we're acting as if these narratives, and then one of the things we'll ask them, well, then what? Then what? And then kind of play it out <laughs> yeah. for them, right? So we're playing out that negative story in their head. And sometimes it's in that um, communication that they can see some of the faulty things thinking that they may have um, and then that false projection of, of reacting to something that hasn't even happened yet. But in that, with that being said, you know, we are going back to, it's hard not to talk about it, but in the world of just social media, all this stuff that's happening, it looks like there's so many more people that are doing other things. So how can people not get overwhelmed in your expertise and do and stay focused on their what's next or their North Star without getting into, well, I'm feeling not good about myself because a person who's in the same position is doing something different and I need to be doing more. And what would you yeah. say, let's say she's um, 35 years old and she's listening to us right now and she's like, okay, Rachel, I hear you, but you know, it's hard for me not to feel like I should be somewhere else in my life. And that's probably potentially sabotaging her next. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, there's two things. There's, there's one is the power of your presence. I, I talk about presence and communication with other people, but also the presence of yourself and your life and understanding that where you are is so important and impactful just where you are. I love Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Um, is So I think just a, a really great read. <laughs> I always tell people, don't tell him I said this, but I say read the third, first three chapters because the rest of the book is pretty much the same thing over and over again. <laughs> but it gets to the point. I know I'm terrible. I can't believe I just said that. Um, but it's kind of true. So, but it's so powerful, like that concept and, and really those, those thoughts of like right here, if you're just in the present, if you're just focused on what you got going on right now and stop the comparison, then all of a sudden you're okay. You know, you're okay. And it's, it's really restricting yourself and knowing yourself enough to say like, I, I can't engage in that. I can't, I can't look at this. I can't, you know, maybe it's getting off a certain app. Maybe it's, it's redirecting conversations because it's for your mental health. Um, and then also it's, it's presence, but it's also the future of where do you want to be? And then how can you baby step towards it? Because I, <laughs> I've been telling this story because I, I, I keep using the word baby step. And there's a reason for that because I have this image in my head. So when I was like, I don't know, five, six years old, my mom decided that she's going to take my brother and I to swim lessons. And we end up going to this place where they just throw you in the water and hope you don't die. And we were traumatized. I'm telling you for the next 10 years, I remember being like 15 years old and be like, mom, you can't drive down that road. 
because I will, I will have anxiety just driving past that place. And so I think about that and I said, <laughs> listen, it works for some people. I'm sure someone learned how to swim. I can swim. I haven't drowned, but you don't need to traumatize yourself to pursue your goals. You don't need to traumatize yourself to, to take the steps towards your dreams or, or where you want to be. So it's okay to have that future, but it's just, you want to make sure that you're doing it in baby steps if it's uncomfortable and then push yourself and then prove your brain wrong and then push yourself again. Something else that else that I see that sometimes can play into this when you talked about social anxiety, sometimes anxiety in general, when people sometimes, especially coming out of COVID, what we found is people didn't realize that they were already living this high anxious and that was used to drive a lot of busyness, which sometimes busyness can be looked at as a trauma response. So then with the world kind of slowing down, it gave people a little pause to be able to compare themselves even more. (laughs) But that anxiety, so sometimes, you know, what I'll see is a barrier to really getting um, present and now is not even realizing that they have anxiety because we've become to me, this over anxious world and nation that people it's become their norm. Um, and then sitting down, like sometimes in our women redeem group will ask, and some women will describe Rachel, that Sunday's afternoon, sometimes kind of is the theme Sunday afternoon is the time where people feel the worst. And what mm. we kind of unpacked in that is that typically on Sunday afternoons, people are relaxing or at home. There's not a lot of stuff going on. So what would you say to that woman who's listening to us right now? And she's thinking, okay, now being present, I got to be present with myself. I don't want to be present with myself. I mean, what could be some practical things that she can do to, to start working her way out of that from your experience? Well, I'm going to get on my personal experience here too. I get you. Whoever's listening and had that question, I get you because I don't do well with time and space. And it, it, it requires, I think everyone to just take a breath and understand that, oh my gosh, these feelings are coming up. Like there's a reason why this feels like this. And we don't, <laughs> my fiance, he says he's going to write a book called push it down. Um, and which is, you know, just, you got this emotion, just push it down. The man version. <laughs> the man version. Yeah. I was like, guess what happens when you push it down, it all explodes. Uh, so, but I think that's often what we do with all of our busyness and all of our stuff. So if you're feeling that, I think it's really important to start just feeling the feelings and understanding and getting your baseline of where you're at. Um, because that was something I, I don't, I don't believe a lot of people realize, like you said, until they were forced to stop how, how anxious we were. And this world is completely at a different baseline level, but understanding where your baseline is and then understanding where you feel your best and then paying attention. Again, it's, it's all this awareness. Apparently all we have to do is just pay attention to ourselves, but it really is, you know, just being aware of, okay, what, what does resonate best with me and how can I be present with those feelings and how can I not mask them with things like drugs and alcohol and all of the things that we do to try to be like, Oh, I don't want to feel that. Um, but feeling those feelings and working through them because the only way out is through and you and I both know that. And I'm sure whoever is asking that question kind of knows that too. It's just not, it's not always the easy route. Like Bob with three stars said, (laughs) (laughs) well, I need to talk to Bob and tell him about doing the work. (laughs) But for those that are listening and watching, you heard it from the expert. You have to do the work and part of doing, doing the work 
is knowing what you're feeling because we're reacting off of what we're feeling every single day. And it always amazes me, but not Rachel, that people don't know what they feel. I feel happy. I feel sad. I feel anger. Right. And we all feel eight to 12 emotions a day. And many times to your point, it stops. It starts with that self-awareness because then if we truly know what we feel, we know why we feel, then we can deal with it. And then, as you said, with the Jay-Z quote, then you can focus on healing. (laughs) But it's such a challenge. Yes, yes, very very wise. (laughs) But it is a challenge for a lot of people to really get down because, you know, what happens, I know, especially from a trauma space, because, you know, one of my areas of focus is trauma is that people don't want to have to bring up all those difficult feelings but what I'll, what I'll always recommend is that we, when we don't do that, to your point, there's something that we call trauma repetition, that you, how you've done this, you're going to continue to find yourself feeling this. And usually it's because it could be a great opportunity to, to heal that the most important thing. And then when it comes to being relatable and being approachable and connecting and getting the job or being able to, to be at network, especially, and I would actually like to hear your thoughts about this. How has that affected us being relatable and making those connections and walking with confidence with the whole Zoom world and the social distancing and everyone was shut down? And, you know, and then on top of that, people having social anxiety about being within six feet, right? Joking, but not. So how do you see that affecting people really coming out and embracing um, learning how to be relatable so they can truly show up in this world and their authentic self? Oh, my gosh. I actually... It, it's crazy because this this entire book was written. You know the the layout of it. I'm like layout. What do they called again? <laughs> Table of contents <laughs> um, was created pre COVID. But then I was talking with my editor, and she's like, "We need COVID stuff in here. We need stuff about virtual." And I said, "Why don't we just do a whole chapter on it? Because I could fill a chapter on these things." And so we talked a lot about about you know I, I think it we can smize, but we also need to be aware of how this is impacting us. And one of the things I shared is we really messed with ourselves by seeing ourselves while talking. Uh, And that has been a huge challenge for so many people. And you see this where, and I I get this feedback all the time where they say, you know, we just don't have the same engagement. We don't have the same uh, depth of conversations over Zoom. And I said, well, they're not hiding their camera. Like they're having a conversation with themselves and then they're judging themselves the whole time. And, and, you know, every study that if you start to look at this and pre COVID, they were studying how we responded to this and we are completely judgmental of ourselves, of others, of of everything around it. So we've created this vacuum where everything is more difficult and now we're coming back in person, but we're coming from different levels of experience and different perspectives and different and, you know, it, it just ways that we, we are approaching this. And so that's where I see we're kind of like, it's like that awkward middle school dance of we're like, who makes the first move and like what happens next? And, you know, the one thing I, I say, it's going back to that baby steps and not throwing yourself in the deep end of the pool, like my mom made me do. Uh, it's <laughs> making sure that you are aware of how you feel going into things and knowing that it's okay to feel like that, but also understanding, even if you're totally cool with it, somebody else might not be. And so respecting other people, we're coming out of this just in a completely different mindset. So coming out from like any sort of empathetic standpoint that you can really start to work on is going to set you so far above and beyond everybody else out there. 
Well, I absolutely relate to that. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. So I'm a faculty member uh, with an organization that trains therapists. So we were doing, I was traveling around the, the country, just doing a lot of trainings. And then we went completely Zoom. And this is what I found myself mm. being judgmental to some of my students in this point, is that I'm looking at their little Zoom windows and I'm thinking, you know, your bed's not made. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, you have this window into people's lives. And uh, to your point, just creates a whole different dynamic because I really wouldn't be having a window into your bedroom to judge you. If yeah. we- <laughs> Nobody saw that. Nobody saw that before. No, no. So it's uh, it was it's very um interesting. But I do want to talk a little bit about, especially because you are a relationship expert, and I was excited to to particularly ask you about this because you talked about one of my favorite topics to discuss, and that's toxic relationships. Oh, <laughs> so you talk baby. about that later in the book. But what would be some common, I know that you have it in the in the book, but what were some common red flags? So let's say um, someone is listening to us and they're getting ready. All right. So the world's opening up and they don't, they don't want to do the Zoom date. So they now are going to go on real dates. So what would be some common red flags that you can share with us that would tell them to run? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, how long do we have? Uh, but I think, you know, the ones that I think happen so often and it's, uh, it's all just different responses to whether it's <laughs> mental illness or trauma, um, is that too fast, too soon. Uh, that is one of the biggest red flags that I see oftentimes, but people who are, you know, lacking in that self self-love, that self-confidence, they love that because it's like, oh my gosh, this person's so into me. Um, but that is not normal. Uh, we don't, we don't fall in love. We grow in love. And so recognizing that, um, any sort of isolation where somebody is, you know, just wants to be with you all the time and, and alienate you from friends or family control issues, any sorts of control, uh, lack of respect. Um, these aren't, you know, th th this isn't abusive, but people who just don't respect you, don't put you on a, on a pedestal. And I'm not saying that they need to like exalt you, but if you are dating someone, they need to care about you. <laughs> if they don't care about you, you know, they're, they're drawing from likely that you don't care about yourself. And so those are kind of those ones where it's just like, you can feel it. And I know you've had so many people <laughs> where you've like, Oh my gosh, well, I had to get into that. Um, um, but I've been there, so I get it. You know, I've, I've been in those situations and, and I've also, I've witnessed it for the last decade of just working with people and, and seeing what people accept because they think that that's what they deserve or they think that's all that they can get. Absolutely. And you said a couple of key highlights that I want to, um, to bring on them and ask you a question. So, you know, the, the love bombing stage where in the beginning, and then we also have this, you know, therapy, we have these uh, dark humor ourselves. we call it the U-Haul couple. So we're like, oh, yep, you guys were the U-Haul couple, didn't even know each other's name, didn't even know how old he was, but you already had the U-Haul. <laughs> Yeah, right? and 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 that's um, been a common theme. I think sometimes because of actually, and I would love to hear your thoughts as well, because of social media, and sometimes people will super connect and feel like they know someone. And then sometimes, from our standpoint, especially being a trauma therapist, sometimes the familiarity is just a trauma that you've yet to discover, um, especially in addictive type um, coupleship. So then, on the other hand, this is actually could kind of lead us into a question um, that that's for you if you feel comfortable answering it. But your window into your your own relationship and to your own fiance. So, you know, I'll kind of add something to that. I mean, what can people see that would be healthy when they're dating and they realize, you know what, yeah. that I'm probably sabotaging this and he probably really is healthy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes it's boring. 
Like there's not the drama. And that's where I I find many people who have experienced some sort of traumatic relationship, they think that that's normal or they get some sort of excitement from it. And, you know, oftentimes really healthy relationships are, are, they're not always exciting. Um, They're supportive and they're loving and they're respectful. Uh, They're kind, they're generous with their time, with their spirit and with their emotions. Um, And they care about your emotions. And that care is oftentimes lacking that true desire to make sure that this person, not that you're responsible for their emotions, but you care about them. Mm-hmm. And then anything that you want to share about how you met your current fiance, the, they want to know how the relationship expert uh, met her, her, her fiance. <laughs> we met on an app. Um, and yeah, I, I wasn't intending on dating. I was actually planning to move to LA. I was in New Jersey. We've been together for, um, almost four years. It'll be four years in like a couple weeks. And so we so you stuck met out each those other. 18, 24 months that you're telling. We did. <laughs> we were excessive with that. We actually just got engaged about like six months ago. Nice. Um, so we, we had a long, and we just moved in together. This is where, you know, we, we just blended families. Like we took everything really slow and there's a beauty to that because, you know that the foundation's not going to crumble. And I, I think part of a healthy relationship, and especially I, I get that it's different because I don't have a biological clock. I think I would rip the thing out if it started ticking. Um, <laughs> I, we, we have four kids between us, so no. Um, but I get it where people want to move a little faster if they're looking to have children. But for us, you know, it's our it's it's a second time around and there's no rush. You know, I feel like we have this rush where we think that we have to like seal the deal because they're going to run away. Well, guess what? They'll run away <laughs> if it's bad. So why don't you make sure it's good before you get, you know, into some sort of permanency. So it's not a, a sprint. It could be a marathon and yes. take the time to really get to know so that you're really setting. Cause of what people really want, in my opinion, is that they want long-term. It's so much better to invest Yes, you can have fun and enjoy all those great things in the beginning, but to really take the time, because in hindsight, when you look back, you'll be so glad that you did. And if it doesn't work out, you'll be not so happy that you rushed it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of like playing the stock market. You're going to play penny stocks and trade day trade because you know how stressful that is. That's why they're all on drugs. (laughs) You know, you can either be a day trader or you can put your money into a nice mutual fund and forget about it. There you go. And you heard it from the relationship expert. So, so as we're winding down, um, your tween daughter, she's now yeah. 35 years old and she's getting her mental health checkup and she, wait, that means I'm really old. Why would you do that? <laughs> but okay, she's getting I'm her here. mental health. Just hang with me for a minute. She's, she's in a safe place at America's favorite psychotherapist's office. Now she's 35 and she's asked, about her childhood. She's asked about her (laughs) to reflect on who her mother was to her in her younger years. What does she say about their mom? (laughs) She's 35 now. (laughs) I'm terrified of that. I was like, you know, we all send our kids to therapy. I think she's going to say her mom was a badass. I think she's going to say like, you know what? She got a little upset sometimes, um, but she always tried to to lead with love, but she got shit done. Can I say that? Ooh. <laughs> say what <laughs> you want. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the example I'm setting is like, go after your dreams and like, get it done. And like, nobody tells you no, nobody tells you no, there's nothing you can't do. Um, but I'm sure I've, I've messed her up along the way too. I mean, what, what are we doing as parents, if not giving another therapist a, you know, job security. That's right. Keeps me in business. That's right. (laughs) I have a fun already started for my son. (laughs) 
We always say, right, and all um, for those that are listening as parents in all seriousness, we have to be good enough parents, right? We're all going to make mistakes, no matter for the relationship expert, matter for the psychotherapist, we all are going to have those, uh, oh, in hindsight, I wish I would have done this differently. So let's just normalize that. But, you know, Rachel, what's next for you? So what's your next? What's your next? Oh my gosh. I'm um, doing a lot of speaking, but I also created uh, an assessment. So I did, uh, it's called the relatable assessment. And that's really my focus. Cause I want, I want teens to understand how do we become more relatable? How do we become more efficient? How do we, how do we work together? How do we understand who we are? How do we understand who they are? Uh, and so that's really that next step for me that once I'm not exhausted, I will definitely take a look at <laughs> and try to figure <laughs> out what's going on with that. So where can people find that the assessment? Um, it's in beta right now, but, okay. uh, if they, if they come to my website, there's right now, there is a social superpowers quiz, which is for free. Um, and then that'll eventually will lead into, cause there's aspects of that that's incorporated into the assessment. So they can find out their superpower and then figure, figure out, uh, their relatability indexes. Very nice. So then those that have just loved your interview and they want to stay in touch with you and follow you, how can they follow you and stay in touch with you? I am Rachel D'Alto everywhere. Everywhere, literally everywhere. <laughs> just, just everywhere. So right now it's all about the book and you're speaking around the book and then you'll have the assessment out as you're raising your tween daughter. Yes. She's in oh. middle school. Sixth grade. Okay. Pray for me. Okay. <laughs> My son's right, right behind, right behind her in uh, fourth grade. But we certainly, certainly appreciated you taking time on Let's Talk About It with Jane Lacey to share all about Relatable. And we're looking forward to that assessment and so much more. So those that have not gotten the book, please get the book and do the work. Because in the words of our special guest, it's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to let it stop you. So until next time, this is your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week. 